I'll be reading from the ESV so you can follow along on your phones or Bibles or the screen behind me. That's Matthew 16, verses 13 to 20. Uh, Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do you say that the son of man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father but my father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. God bless you. Thank you, Louise. Um, All right, so uh, for those, again, who are new or visiting, um, and as a reminder, if you've missed out in the past couple of weeks, uh, we are going through a series uh, as a church through the book of uh, Matthew. So it's the gospel according to the book of Matthew, and so we're kind of um, into chapter 13, or 16, sorry. um, And Pastor David will be continuing uh, the series today. So I'm going to invite Pastor David, if we could give him a warm welcome as he comes to preach the word of God. Come on. Thanks, CJ. Um, Today's one of those weeks where I'm, um, you saw me descend and I'm you seeing me again. Uh, you know, so if you're a muso, you know, um, <laughs> we could definitely use some help up here. Uh, it's a wonderful thing to, to worship the Lord with our singing and, and music. Um, but let's get into the word today. Uh, you know, this passage that Louise just read for us. Um, it's got a really central question to it. And as we go through life, uh, in any given week, we're often presented with questions, right? All, all kinds of questions, like, you know, you might think of when you get home, uh, someone will ask you, how's your day, right? How's your day? How'd you go? Or when you go to grab a coffee, even at the local cafe, you know, will that be a large or regular? Uh, or one that seems to pop up a lot in, in my household. Uh, what do you want to have for dinner tonight? And our answers to these questions, they do impact us, right, in, in small ways. Uh, they, 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 they impact us. But every once in a while, you get presented with a much weightier question. Uh, if you're like me and you've ever found yourself sitting in an, uh, in an exam, and as soon as the examiner says, all right, pick up your pens, you flick to that final page, um, and you just stare at that last question, and you're just hoping that it's the one that you've prepared for. And the answer that you give to that question sometimes will determine whether you pass or fail the subject. That's been me before. I'm sure it's been some of you guys too. Uh, or an even weightier question, uh, one that uh, I heard yesterday. You know, do you take this woman to be your wife? Or do you take this man to be your husband? For as long as you live. To answer that question, that can change the entire trajectory of your life. And today we're presented with uh, the most important question any of us could ever answer. And Jesus asks that question to us. 
It is, but who do you say that I am? And if you've never really answered this question, uh, I want to say that you really need to because it doesn't just impact, impact your life today. It doesn't just impact your days and your weeks. It will impact your destiny, your eternity in one direction or another. And if you feel like you've already answered this question before, if you feel like you've graduated from this question, then I want you to see today that Jesus asks this question not to people who don't know him, but to his disciples, men who've been living with him, men who've been walking with him and eating with him, conversing with him, seeing him do these great miracles, hearing him teach. And yet he asks his own disciples, who do you say that I am? And it's because there's times where they get who Jesus is and they're filled with faith, and there's times where they, they don't. There's times where they forget. They have spiritual amnesia, and they're filled with fear. And so all of us today in this room, we need to answer this question. You know, whether it's for the first time or wh whether it's again, because it has that big of an impact on our lives. So today I want to look at three things. First, I want to look at you know, what is the right answer to this question? You know, uh, it's a bit of a cheat sheet. Number two, uh, how do we get to the right answer? And finally, uh, what does this right answer actually give to us? So first, uh, what is the right answer to this question? Jesus asks his disciples, but who do you say that I am? And if you notice, he actually first asks them, hey, what do other people say about me? You know, who do other people say that I am? In verse 13, who do people say that uh, the Son of Man is? And they tell him honestly, you know, Jesus, there's been some rumors going around and people think that you're a resurrected prophet. People think you're John the Baptist, who we saw you know, a couple chapters ago. It's the guy who had his head cut off by Herod. Uh, or even Elijah, Jeremiah. You know, these are Old Testament heavyweight prophets. And it's not completely wrong. You know, a prophet is just someone who speaks authoritatively for God. And Jesus does that. Right? He speaks authoritatively for God, but he's more than just a prophet. And so Jesus turns to his disciples and he asks them, okay, now what about you? What about you guys? Who do you say that I am? What do you think? And Peter, right, the most vocal of the disciples, he answers, well, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. It's a really profound statement. And I just want to look at two parts to this. Let's take them one at a time. You, know, you are the Christ. When we say Jesus Christ, um, I want to make it clear, it's not a last name. Like we're not praying to Mr. Christ. All right? uh, it's not a name, it's a title. It literally means anointed king. Uh, in the Old Testament, you see it used of King David and a few of the other anointed kings. But by Jesus' day, uh, this title, Christ, it starts to be used for a very specific king who, would, you know, who wasn't there yet, but who would, who would come. Uh, a unique king would come from God himself and bring God's kingdom on earth as it is in heaven and save God's people. Uh, in Greek, it's Christos. That's where we get the word Christ. 
But in Hebrew, it's the word uh, Mashiach. That's uh, where we get the word Messiah. So when Peter says, you're the Christ, he's saying, you're the Messiah. You're the fulfillment of all God's promises to us, to save us, to restore us. You're the king we've been waiting for. But secondly, Peter says, you're the son of the living God. And you know, what you have to understand is this whole scene, it, it occurs in a place called uh, Caesarea Philippi. That's what we read in verse 13. And this place, its original name was Panias because it was the home uh, of the Greek god Pan. And he was like the god of drinking and sexual promiscuity. And in fact, you know, very pr promiscuous women at the time, they were called Pan women. And this is really important. We think about um, all, all the Greek gods, right? Like Zeus, Hercules, and Hades. Uh, in Greek mythology, Pan was the only god to ever die. Uh, it was rec recorded by a, a historian named Plutarch. Uh, and he recorded Pan's death right about the time that Jesus is born. The contrast here is very clear. Gods like Pan, they're dead. They're statues, right? They don't have any life in them whatsoever. But the God of Israel is alive. He's knowable. He's personal. And he's come to his people in a person, in Jesus Christ. And that's what Peter realizes and confesses at this moment. You are the Christ and son of the living God. See, the people thought Jesus was a good prophet. Um, and I think that's kind of like people today. You know, people think that Jesus is a good dude. Right? He's was a good teacher, uh, you know, a, a moral teacher, a, a kind, wise spiritual leader. People have good thoughts about Jesus today, but it's, it's really not enough to have good thoughts about Jesus if they're not the right thoughts about Jesus. See, Jesus is the Christ, and that means all of the different ways that we go about in life, looking for saving, salvation, looking for restoration from all the broken things that we experience in life. Jesus is the one who comes from God to save us, to bring us salvation and to restore us. And Jesus is the son of the living God, and that means he's knowable, he's personal. Uh, I love the way that Dallas Willard, uh, he's a Christian philosophy professor, um, he talks about how he was, he was talking about Jesus one day in class, and you know, after the class finished, a student knocked on his door, and he was like, can you tell me more about this guy? And Dallas Willard said to him, well, you know, when you pray to him, Jesus will walk right up to you, and he'll listen to you. And Willard reflects later on, I met the same student 20 years later at a philosophy conference, and he was still talking to Jesus. See, Jesus is alive. He's knowable. He's personal. He's also the Christ. He's the king we've been longing for and waiting for. This is the right answer that Peter confesses in this moment, and, and really nothing less will do. But how do we get to the right answer? Uh, Jesus tells us in verse 17, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. 
Jesus is saying here, Peter, you got the right answer, A+, plus, right? And it's not because of flesh and blood, and all that means is it's not because you figured it out in your own kind of human means. It's not a human thing. You know, my Father, God has revealed this to you from heaven. Uh, there's a well-known foot, uh, poem called Footprints. Um, I grew up reading it maybe thousands of times because it was right there on top of the toilet in our bathroom at home. Um, and it's a really great poem. I encourage you guys to check it out. Uh, but at the end of the poem, it says, Author Unknown. And this always kind of piqued my curiosity. So a little while ago, I tried looking up who wrote this poem, and I found out that at least 12 people have claimed authorship for the poem. And four of them have sued each other, uh, <laughs> trying to claim authorship for this poem. And then I found out recently as well, same thing with Bitcoin. Um, Someone called Satoshi Nakamoto uh, created Bitcoin. Many people claim to be Satoshi Nakamoto, uh, to be the, the creator of you know, this cryptocurrency. And you know, one thing I've learned about human beings from being one for 34 years, uh, living with others for the same amount of time, being married to one you know, for about a year, is that human beings are... We're just wired to seek glory and credit where it's not due. Uh, even when we think we're not doing it. I used to think when people uh, would ask me, hey, how was your week? Um, I'll tell them, yeah, you know, a lot of the time, it's, it's really busy, really, really busy. And I, I, I just thought, you know, that's, that's a humble thing to say. And some weeks were really like that. You know, everyone has those weeks that are crazy and, and, and busy. But there were also times where I was busy because I just you know, hadn't managed my time very well. I wasn't very disciplined. And to say, you know, I had a really busy week in those times is really just a subtle way of me saying, hey, please recognize how hardworking I am, how busy my life is, you know, glory and credit where it's not due. And you know, if you can uh, identify with that. And when it comes to knowing Jesus, you know, that kind of inbuilt wiring to seek credit. The gospel doesn't let us do that. And it's actually such a comforting thing because it means that it's not up to you. It's not in your own strength. Uh, like, no one should ever tell you, hey, just you figure it out. Read the Bible and just, you know, logic it into existence. It's not in your own strength to figure out who Jesus is. It's not about trying and trying until you just get there. It's not a flesh and blood thing. It's a God thing. God is the one who opens our eyes to see who Jesus is. And it means today, if you're here and you at least know that you can't know him in your own strength, it means that God is working in your heart to bring you there. But finally, you know, what does this give us? What does the right answer give us? You know, is it just like a nice report card? You know, a plus, that feels pretty good, but really, what does it mean? You know, we come to verse 18, and it's one of the most uh, debated verses in church history, so I'm just going to read it through once for us. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not, shall not prevail against it. So I don't have the time today to get into all the details of the uh, this debate, but basically uh, the Roman Catholic Church will look at this verse and they'll, s and they'll say, 
Jesus said that he would build a church on Peter. And Peter, therefore, was the first pope. Every other pope that comes after him is infallible and has the authority of Jesus over the church. This is a verse that they depend on to affirm the office of the pope. But you'll see next week in the few verses, in the next few verses, Jesus says to Peter, like, get behind me, Satan. That doesn't sound like something we should say to the Pope, an infallible Pope. And it just doesn't make any sense at all that Jesus would build this church right, to stay or to crumble on the foundation of one guy, one dude. I mean, whether it's a Pope or whether it's a pastor. So Protestants, on the other hand, they'll read this passage uh, differently. When Jesus says, and I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock, Protestants will read that as, not, he's not talking about Peter as the rock. Peter is this great human being that will kind of undergird the whole church. But it's Peter's confession about who Jesus is, that he's the Christ, that he's the son of the living God. This confession is a rock on which Jesus will build his church. And verse 19 only makes that clearer. Jesus says, I'll give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And this language of binding and loosing, it's straight out of the rabbi textbook. This is how the Jewish rabbis used to talk in their classrooms. They would say, you know, I'll loose that interpretation. You can go ahead. I'll loose that teaching. And they'd also say, no, but this saying, I'm going to bind it up. Get it out of my classroom. And it simply means that Peter, along with the disciples, they can make access to the kingdom of God available or unavailable through their confession of who Jesus really is. And it makes sense if you think about it. When you think about your non-believing friends, your non-believing colleagues at work, you're not going to make the kingdom of God accessible to them if you don't talk about who Jesus is. At some point, if you don't just simply say, Jesus is Son of God, who came to die for our sins, to forgive us. And if you believe in him, you'll have eternal life. If you don't say that, if you never say that, you're not going to make the kingdom of God accessible to them. But what does this confession about Jesus give to us? Uh, the rest of verse 18 it's really beautiful. It says, On this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Uh, and this is the very first time in the whole New Testament that the word church is mentioned. It doesn't ever appear before this. And this is really comforting for me because you know, we're part of a church. We're part of a community of people. And what it's saying is this confession about who Jesus is that Peter gives, this rock that Jesus is the Christ and the Son of the living God, when we confess that, man, Jesus builds his church. Not only that, but the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I don't know if you ever read this properly, because we tend to think of hell as like this aggressive force attacking us, right? Coming against us. And you know, spiritual warfare is real, and don't get me wrong, but it says here the gates of hell. Not the gates of the church, the gates of hell. 
That means when we confess who Jesus is, that he's the Christ and the Son of the living God, Jesus builds his church, and the church punches down the gates of hell. The church plunders the gates of hell. Do you know what it's like to see a person come to know Jesus for the first time? To really put their trust in him. It is the most miraculous thing that could ever happen to see someone dead spiritually come alive. And it punches down the gates of hell. I want that for our church. I want our church to be a place where people who don't know Jesus come to know him for the first time, personally, genuinely, and come to trust in him. Don't you want that too? To be a church that punches down the gates of hell. That's what this confession is about who Jesus is, a simple confession does. So what does that mean for us? Well, when Jesus asks us, but who do you say that I am? Uh, I want you to hear this as a very deeply personal question that he's asking for you today. He's not asking, what have others told you about me? He's not asking, you know, what answer sounds acceptable and like it's the religious one to give. He's saying, who do you, you say that I am? deeply personal question. If we don't really hear this being directed at us, uh, we can all fall into the trap of really answering this question in a very shallow way. Uh, and we come to see Jesus not as the Christ and the Son of the living God, but through the lens of something called moralistic therapeutic deism. I know that's a bit of a mouthful. Uh, but moralistic therapeutic deism, it, it, it's just a view of Jesus that says, Jesus, I believe you exist. I believe that you want me to be a good person. And I'll believe you as long as it doesn't interfere with my happiness. It's a moralistic, you want me to be a good person, self-therapeutic, it's about my happiness, belief in Jesus. Yeah, I believe, you, I, I believe you're real, I believe you exist. that's just not who Jesus is. Jesus is the Christ. He's the Messiah. He's the one that we've all been waiting for. He's the one who fulfills all the promises of God to save us. He saved us from sin, right? The, the, the problem beneath all the problems. And he heals the brokenness that you and I have in our hearts, caused by sin. He's God himself who came to be with us. He's the Christ. And he's the son of the living God. And just like Dallas Willard says, he's alive. And that means when you pray to him, he'll walk, he'll walk right up to you and he'll listen to you. He's personal. He's knowable. He's alive. I don't want you to take my word for it. I, here's what I want us to do together. 
Um, I don't want us to put all of our eggs in the flesh and blood basket. You know, we don't get to the right answer through just vain human effort. You know, we've got to cry out to God, and we just have to ask Him simply, uh, can you show me who this Jesus is? In the same way that you showed Peter. And if you're not a Christian today, and you've never answered this question, like, not surface level, like, intellectually, but Jesus is asking you today, who do you say that I am, really? Then you can still cry out to God today, and and just ask him, please show me who you are. If you're a Christian and you feel like you've graduated from this question and you've answered it many times before, but the, the reality is your answer to this question about who Jesus is, it doesn't impact your day, really. It doesn't impact your week. It's not impacting your family, your relationships, your ministry. You're not moved, not convicted in the same way that you were when you came to really know him for the first time. Do you remember that? Then you can also still cry out to God today and just ask that he would reveal Jesus to you. It's not by flesh and blood. It's by the Father in heaven revealing to us, blessing us, giving us eyes to see that Jesus is the Christ and the Son of the living God. So why don't we just take 20 seconds to close our eyes and in the privacy just of our own hearts, let's just ask, God, I need an answer to this question. I can't answer it in my own strength. Help me. Help me to see who Jesus really is. Jesus, you are the Christ. You alone came from heaven and you became like us. You lived like us. You understand what it means to live a day in our world. And you died for us to save us from the consequences of us turning our backs on God, the one who made us. You died in our place because you love us to make peace with us. You're the one who came to save us. And when we believe in you, when we trust in you, and this is just the beginning of an eternal journey where every day we get one day closer seeing you face to face. You're the son of the living God. You're alive. You're here today, right now. You're here in this room. You're with us. You hear us as we pray, as we pray these prayers. You've heard us. 
and you walk right up to us and you listen to us. You're personal and you're knowable. I pray for all of us today, uh, and especially through these prayers that we prayed. Father, I pray that you'd answer them. God, I pray that all of us would have eyes to see who Jesus really is so that we could answer this question just like Peter. And as we do that, Lord, you'll build your church. As we do that, the gates of hell shall not prevail against the glory of your church. We thank you and pray in Jesus' name. Amen.